At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. You know, church, I tried a couple weeks ago to jump in and do it, and I, I failed, just so you know. Like, I tried, though. I looked at Amy, and I said, Amy, it's starting to get chilly outside. You know what we ought to do. You know it would be like a real good idea. And she looks at me, and she says, no, we're not doing it. And I said, no, we, but we, we should, Amy. Like, we should, we should do it. We could get out the tree, and we could just let the branches fall out. And she's just like, nope, I'm putting my foot down. You're not going to do it. I'm putting her under the bus, she says. <laughs> no, she's like, you know what? The day after Thanksgiving, that's a great plan. But I'm like, no, the snow, and it's here today, right? I'm like, the snow is coming. We're in Michigan. We need to get ready for this. And yeah, she said no. And Gabe, Gabe would have been right with her. He's away at school right now. But a week from tomorrow, we get to pick him up from the airport. God willing, get to pick him up from the airport for Thanksgiving week. But I can guarantee you, if, and he might be watching right now, he's actually on the road driving, and a lot of times he listens when he's not in church, he listens to our services or watches, and if I pick him up and I have Christmas music playing, I can guarantee you Gabe will get into the car because he's such a traditionalist. He'll get into the car and he'll just look at me and go, Dad, we can't do that. That is not okay. Day after Thanksgiving, we got to change the station. No Christmas. Now, Amy, I got, in fairness, I got into her car this morning to come to church, Christmas music was playing. She had the Christmas station on. But uh, Ian, normally my Ian, my oldest, he's a go with the flow kid. Like he just, he'll listen to country, he'll listen to 80s, he'll listen to classical. Like he doesn't care. Like he just li listens to everything. He came down the stairs week before last for, for dinner. And I've got Pentatonics playing like the new Christmas album. Because I'm always like looking for new music. And so he walks down and he just freezes and he goes, what are, what are we actually doing here? Like, what's going on? Why are we playing Christmas music right now? I'm like, I'm just previewing. Like, it doesn't even count right now. I live amongst people who are so traditional when it comes to Christmas. And maybe, maybe that's why I have you. Because I can live vicariously through you as you're posting on Facebook. I'm seeing your trees. They look beautiful, guys. They look so nice. Your stockings hung by the chimney with care. It's looking so good. And I can still put my earphones in and listen to whatever I want to. And they don't even know, right? They don't even know. So I do like, I do like to find like new Christmas songs every year. And yet I... I also am kind of a traditionalist a little bit. I go back to those favorites every time. It never gets old to me, ever. It just never gets old. And probably my favorite is Oh Holy Night. I'm hoping, so if you didn't notice, like Kip was playing drums this morning instead of up here leading like he normally does, and Adam was here. Well, Adam normally, if you've never been with us at Christmas, he normally does Oh Holy Night. I haven't seen what we're doing week by week, but I'm hoping Adam kind of brings it back again this year. It, it definitely is my favorite of all the Christmas songs. Here's what it says. It says, Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It's the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. Pining, it's not like a pine tree. Pining, pining means to long for, right? It means to desire. It means it's this longing where you are aching inside. You are longing for it so much. And sin and error, pining. This is the thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices. 
Can I just tell you, I think we are alive at the very, very best time ever in the world today because we live in a world where weary souls exist. There are a lot of weary souls surrounding us. And so we get the task of not only knowing the Lord, but of making him known in this world where there are so many weary souls so that maybe from the movement of the Lord come Christmas morning, they can rejoice. That's what we get to do. So of course, a holy night is meant for Christmas time, but I believe there's so much connection to the text today. That's why I brought it up. Take your Bibles. Let's open up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, there's a lot of theologians who look at Romans chapter 8 as one of the greatest chapters in all of the scripture. They look at chapter 8 of Romans as like the chapter in chapter 7. If you remember, chapter 7 is one we all identify with a lot, I think, because it talks about how you and I were in sin. And so what we do is we try to break our way on our own out of sin. I showed you that picture last week, didn't I? took the Tupperware and I took a, a Tupperware that said you and I put it inside another Tupperware that said sin and that's a picture of us. And we oftentimes try to break out of sin on our own through our own actions, our own behavior, believing enough or being good enough or checking enough boxes. You can't break out of sin on your own. But that's where we get to chapter 8. And in chapter 8 we see that for those who are in Christ Jesus through faith we are in Christ but it's through faith, not what you can do, not the box you can check, not what you can accomplish, but it's the work of Christ in our lives, which brings us to our big idea. Our big idea this morning is that our present sufferings will give way to future glory. Our present sufferings will give way to future glory. The song says the thrill of hope. I think that's what all this comes down to. It comes down to hope. There is hope, but it's not hope like a worldly hope. You see, a worldly hope says, I hope I get a red car with a bow for Christmas. That's what I'm hoping for. It's like a wish, right? I'm wishing for it. I, I hope, I hope that this happens. I hope that that happens. I hope I get a pay raise because there's been so much inflation. Like a pay raise is what I'm hoping for so that my income can kind of keep up with inflation. That's what I'm, I'm hoping for. I hope my team wins, even one game this year, right? That'd be great. Just a game. Although, have you thought about like if the Lions beat the Steelers today and they go on a win? They might. <laughs> Naysayer. Come on. Was that Troy? Is that who said that? But if they go on a winning streak, they can make the playoffs, couldn't they? Like they could, if they win on out, we can have hope. Can I just, we, we are totally off track now. Like we blew it right there. There's, there is such a difference, though, between worldly hope and biblical hope. There is such a difference. You see, the hope that we have is a confident expectation of what's waiting for us up ahead. That's the hope we have as Christians. We don't hope like the world does. We have a different kind of hope. We're not just hopeful. We are hope-filled. We are hope-filled people. Now, you know, in all of Scripture, there's two times that Jesus is amazed Church, there's a connection between hope and faith. Only two times is Jesus ever amazed. The first time that we see is in Luke chapter 7. That's with the faith of the centurion. You have this man who's not even a Jewish man. He's a soldier. And yet this soldier, he had faith in the power and the authority of Christ. And Jesus was amazed by him. The other time that we see Jesus amazed is in Mark chapter 6. 
But this time he was amazed because of the lack of faith of the people. All hope, all hope was gone. They had no hope. There's a connection between our faith and our hope. So here's the question I want us to wrestle with today. This is where we're going today. This is what I want us to wrestle with. What are you hoping for? Are you hoping for the end of sin's power in your life? Is that what you're hoping for? Are you hoping for this season where maybe this, we have so many people online this morning. I know there's a, a lot of people struggling with sickness and disease and hurts. And so they're not with us this morning. Are, are you hoping for the end of all the sickness? Is that what you're hoping for? Or are you hoping for your political party to start to get some momentum right about now? Are you hoping for the next, I don't even know what the next toy is this year. You know, every year kind of has the toy. I don't know what the toy is, but is that what you're hoping for? The toy, the widget, the thing, right, that everyone wants to have. Is that what you're hoping? Because here's what I think. I think that so quickly we as Christians can start to drift from, from the hope we're supposed to have in Christ to a worldly hope. I mean, just like that, if we're not careful, our hope goes from being centered on Christ to a worldly kind of a hope. And so we're going to look at Scripture starting in verse 18. Chapter 8, verse 18 is where we're going to start. And we're going to look at how creation is groaning in hope for its full restoration. How all of creation is groaning in hope for its full restoration. We're going to start Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider, says Paul, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Look back at verse 18 again, because verse 18 really is the thesis for this whole section. When I say the thesis, I mean that everything else we talk about is really being driven from verse 18. It's all pointing to verse 18 that says, I consider the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul says, we, we may be going through some sufferings right now, some afflictions right now. They don't compare. When you look at the future glory, there is no comparison between them. Quick time out. Because I've already mentioned it, but there are some of you who are going through sufferings right now as we speak. You're going through sufferings. For some of you, you've had a loved one who's passed away in this past season. And it's hard. You know, we're, we're 11 days away from Thanksgiving. We're 41 days away from Christmas. And for some of you, you feel the sting of those numbers thinking this year will be the first. And it's hard. Amy and I, we've got a visitation we're going to this afternoon. Because it, it, it's one of those processes that's just continually happening. And it, and it hurts. Again, there's some who are, are home because they're sick right now. And, and they don't know what better looks like. There are many of you in this room, you are going through sufferings. You are going through afflictions. And it's hard. Some of you, it's, it's some of the emotional, mental sufferings that you go through. 
on a very regular basis, you feel like the walls are starting to close in on you, don't you? And you, you don't know, like, how am I even going to get through this day, let alone look at the future hope of glory. So I don't want to rush past this because I know that for so many of you, this is hard. This is not easy. I want to recognize there are very real sufferings that exist. And maybe you're looking going, I don't know who Paul is, but I'm certain he doesn't know what I'm going through. Well, you need to know before he was Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. And he does know what it means to suffer. And he does know what it means to go through afflictions. He knows what it is to be hungry. He knows what it is to be shipwrecked. He knows what it is to be in chains. He knows what it is to be a prisoner. He knows what it is to have people take rocks and throw rocks at him to try to stone him to death, to try to kill him with blunt force trauma. He knows what that's like. He knows what it is to be whipped. At one point he said, I bear on me the marks of Christ, meaning his back had scars from where he had been whipped. He understands sufferings. And Paul says, any sufferings we may experience in this life, they are so short. They are so small when compared to the future hope of glory that we have. It is just like this. That's what he's saying. Now, probably you have sufferings that you have experienced or you are experiencing. I, I've got things that I could list down. And I'm not talking about the self-inflicted kind because we do that, don't we, sometimes? It'd be like if, if you're driving 90 miles an hour and the state trooper pulls you over and gives you a ticket, I'm not talking to you when you go, boy, I'm suffering because I don't know how I'm going to come up with the money to pay that ticket. No, you did that. You did that to yourself. And I'm not talking to the person who says, I just need you to pray for me because I'm suffering because I don't know how we're going to buy Christmas. What do you mean you don't know? Well, I, I quit my job. Why'd you quit your job? I just told my boss, take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. You know, and, and I, he made me mad and I was tired of dealing with him. He made me mad, so I quit. I just quit. Okay, that's self-inflicted. That's not what this is talking about. This is not talking about self inflicted kind of suffering. This is a suffering that happens because of your faith or because of the broken world that we're in. And so Paul says, I want to remind you of what Christ has brought to us. I want to remind you of what his life for ours bought us. This is Paul whispering to us. This is the Holy Spirit declaring to us. This is the word screaming to us. I want to remind you that there is a hope a hope that is tied to our faith that is far greater than any suffering that we'll ever struggle here on earth. That's what we're reading about. Now, maybe you've looked at the word of God and you surrendered your life to Jesus. And there came a point where you said, I'm just throwing my hands up before the Lord because I want to go to heaven one day. That's what it is. Your hope is in this future glory. You're like, yes, my hope is that one day I'll go to heaven. I just want to encourage you one thing real fast and then we'll keep moving. Our hope, yes, that is true. That is true. There, there is a heaven. But our hope is in so much more than a place. It's in a person. Our hope is in Christ. That's what happens when we surrender our lives to him. When we place our faith in him, we now are in him and he is in us. And we get to worship him and for eternity we will dwell with him. It is more than a where, it is a who. Let's not forget that as we're studying this morning. So when you suffer, this is what we're studying. When you suffer, don't lose hope. Paul says it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, so we do not lose heart. 
Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, I know sometimes it doesn't feel light and momentary, does it? But this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I think there's another struggle you might have. Not just, I think there's some who are experiencing sufferings right now. You're facing tribulations right now. But I think there's another group of you that you're sitting here this morning and you're going, man, this message is kind of weird. Because like, that's not me. I, don't, I feel real good today. Like I'm feeling great and I'm winning, you know, I'm winning everything and I'm hitting my goals and it's amazing and I'm having parties that I'm going to and I've got the chase, the chase of that dream, the chase of the goal, the chase of the guy, the girl, the whatever your thing is that you're chasing. But life is really, really good right now. And for you, the whole thought of future glory might be a challenging one today. C.S. Lewis, we talked about him a couple weeks ago. He's the light and the witch in the wardrobe guy. He wrote more than just the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, just so you know. He did a lot of writing. He was a very famous theologian, and he actually wrote about that. He said, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like a child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said it's, it's almost like a little kid sitting in the most poverty that you can imagine. Like that kind of poverty situation. Just making mud pies. And thinking this, this is great. This is all there is to it. Mud pies. This is what I was destined for in life. When the whole time the holiday by the sea is waiting. They just can't even fathom that. That's us sometimes. We get trapped by this. We get trapped by what we can see. And we think that that's all there is to it. We can't even fathom what's waiting for us, what glory is waiting for us up ahead. And so maybe you're thinking, I don't know about all this. Like, I don't know C.S. Lewis. He's long gone and dead. Like, I don't know about him. Billy, I'm not so sure about you. Like, I got questions about you. That Paul guy, you know, I don't know. Here's my encouragement to you. Trust Jesus. Jesus is eternal. Jesus left heaven to seek out and save that which is lost. You, he came to seek out you. He came to save you. He came to rescue you. He came to rescue me. He came to rescue all of humanity. He put on flesh and he dwelt among us. That is the celebration of Christmas. He put on flesh and he dwelt among us. And I want you to think about what happened when he went to the cross. You see, not only was it the pain of the torture of what he went to going through the cross, but it was taking on the weight of the sin of the entire world on his shoulders. And yet he willingly did it. Knowing what he was walking into, he willingly did it. Why? Because he says, these sufferings, these afflictions will last this long. But there's this future hope of glory that's coming. A hope, not in things we wish for, but the certainty of what we know is lying up ahead. Jesus says the glory that is to come is greater than the glory of this life. Let's go back to scripture, verse 19 through 22. For the creation 
waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I like that phrase, waits with eager longing, because it's a, it's a word picture, right? Waits with eager longing. It's this word picture that means to sit on the edge of your seat, to crane your neck. Have you seen the picture of like that giant tortoise with like the really long neck? That's All animals kind of do it though. You know, they kind of make that turkey neck because they want to see what's going on up ahead, like that whole thing, right? That's what this is. It's us at a game where we can't see over the person in front of us. And so we're doing one of these, right? You're straining, you're aching, you're yearning, you're pining just to see what's going on. All of creation, Scripture says, is doing that. You know why it's doing that? Because it's been subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Paul just did this. Paul just said, I want to go all the way back to the garden. Let's go all the way back to the garden of Eden. Because that was paradise. That was perfection. That was beauty. There was Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, they had a job. And that was to rule over all of creation. That was their job, right? To subdue it, to work it. That, that was their job. And then sin entered the world. And when they sinned, there was a curse that was not only placed on them, but over everything that they were in charge of, which was all of creation. Thus, Scripture says it was subjected to futility. So all of creation is groaning to be set free from this corruption. And we know that one day that's exactly what will happen. There will be a day where it will be set free. Until then, creation is groaning. Now, I have a question I like to ask people. When we sit down for dinner, oftentimes I'll just ask the question, where's that spot that you go to to hear from the Lord? I, I love the question. I like to hear from people and it just tells me so much about them and their faith journey. And a lot of times people will say, well, I like to sit down at the kitchen table. You know, I, I like it by my fireplace. I like it in my comfy chair. But the number one answer I hear is nature. The number one answer I hear is, you know, Billy, it's when I go for a walk in the woods. It's when I'm by the lake. It's when I'm climbing up the mountain. It's when I'm sitting on the beach. It's when I'm in the desert, which shouldn't surprise us. How many references to nature do we see in scripture? Where he takes Abram out and says, let's look up at the sky. Count the stars in the sky if you can do that, right? It's where Jesus went for 40 days. He went out into the wilderness. He went out into nature. It's where the disciples are out on the water. They're out on the boat, right? So many times we see just this beautiful picture of nature. And yet I don't have to convince you the brokenness of nature. If you think of the great world catastrophes, what do you think? You think of the tsunami, the tornado, the hurricane, the flood, the drought. So we know that all of creation continues to groan. All of creation is on the edge of its seat. And it's almost, Scripture says, a picture of childbirth. 
Now, back when my boys were born, there wasn't the social media stuff like we have today. You know, today it seems like everything, you got a social media. It wasn't like that. But had we had the social media, I can almost promise there would have been pictures of Amy after the fact, holding baby Ian, and then four years later, like hugging baby Gabe. It would have been a great picture. After approval, we have this rule. I'm not allowed to post anything without approval from Amy first. She has to make Facebook approved before I post it. Here's what would not have been approved had she been right in the agony of childbirth and I took the camera and got it up in her face and started taking pictures. All right, moms, can you imagine that? Like, she would have been furious. She would have been so mad at me. It kind of would have been like, okay, not only is this not Facebook approved, what are you doing? You're supposed to be helping me breathe right now, right? We got this, one, two, or however we, I don't even remember how we counted. One, two, three, one, one, two, three. I don't remember, whatever it was. Yeah, we're done with all that. We are, yeah, we're done with all that. <laughs> wow, we, I am so distracted this morning. But you guys get it, right? That is a picture of agony to the future glory, right? That is a picture that Paul gives us of this is what we have a momentary pain here. And it is a very real pain when you're experiencing it. It is very real suffering when you're in the midst of it. But it does not compare with what, what, what's waiting up ahead. That's the point he's making. It does not compare with what's waiting up ahead. We know what's waiting up ahead because we have Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, where John says, He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's the power of Christ in our lives. He's making all things new. Even think of the celebration of Christmas. I mean, just thinking about nature. The stars jumped in the sky when Jesus came to this earth. The animals, they showed up there at the manger, didn't they? And it seemed like mankind was the one that struggled. There was just a small handful that even took notice of that incredible night. No one else seemed to take notice except for a small handful of guys. So creation is groaning in the hope for full restoration. And the last point, God's people grown in the hope for full redemption. Let's look at verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, we had the first fruits of the spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You've heard this before. We live in an already but not yet reality. We already are saved. We already have been rescued. We already have a right standing with God. We are already loved as children of God. You know that, right? You will never be more loved by God than you are right now. Nothing you do is going to make him love you more. Nothing you do is going to make him love you less. He loves you with an incredible God love. And yet, we have not fully experienced everything in our redemption. Not yet we haven't. I was going to say after the age of 35, but I'll go with 20. I think if you're past the age of 20, your body has told you that you have not been completely restored yet. Right? So you wake up, and even I think after 20, you're like, man, my knee from where I tore my meniscus in high school, a little sore today. 
right? Or I got a little crick in my neck. Or man, my back's a little bit from moving all that furniture this weekend. All we got all these aches and creaks and noises that we make all of a sudden. It's like the older you get, the, the worse it gets, right? Getting old's not for wimps. You got you to just tough it out and keep going. But friends, one day our bodies will also be completely restored. One day, not only do we experience spiritual regeneration, our entire bodies are going to be completely restored. And so we wait eagerly, leaning in, neck stretched on the edge of our seat. We patiently wait. So I started by mentioning that Jesus was amazed in two places. He was amazed by faith, and he was amazed by lack of faith. So I'm just wondering if Christ were to look at your life today, why would he be amazed? Would he be amazed because of your faith? Or would he be amazed because of your lack of faith? Why would Jesus be amazed at you today? Friends, you may be experiencing sufferings in this world, but I promise it is so short-lived when compared to the future glory that's waiting, an eternal future glory that's waiting. And so my hope is, not a wish, but my hope is that we continue to encourage one another to keep our eyes focused on Christ. He is the author. He is the perfecter of our faith. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for this incredible gift to gather, to worship, to encourage, to celebrate. Lord, I know that we have brothers and sisters who are going through sufferings today. And it's easy to get downhearted. It's easy to take our eyes off of Christ in those moments. It's easy to get frustrated in those moments. But I pray for the encouragement that scripture has given that we don't lose heart. That we remember who we are and whose we are. And so, Lord, for those who have been discouraged, I pray for encouragement today. I pray that you continue to remind us that you hold us close. And, Lord, as a church, that we continue to eagerly wait, to patiently wait, to wait with our necks outstretched, looking to see you in your glory. Because Lord, I think there's something that happens in that moment. We take our eyes off of the situation that we're in and we fix our eyes on you. So continue to show us what that looks like with our neighbor, with our family members, with our church family, with those we work next to. Lord, show us how to be ambassadors. You're ambassadors of grace and peace. Lord, for those who have never surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, I pray for these moments as they continue to hear truth that your Holy Spirit does a work that is miraculous. That you take the old, you take the dead, and you make it new again. Lord, you cause this regeneration in our hearts as we surrender our lives to you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, as a reminder, following the service, we will have a prayer team right down here, down front.
I don't want to take this lightly. I know that there are struggles that people are going through. I just want to encourage you, don't do this alone. If you need someone just to pray over you, and maybe you don't need to give all the details, but you really want someone to pray over you, know that we're here to serve you. Let's stand as we close our morning worshiping together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.